one thing, noting that this verse makes it clear that Jesus is the one who Paul places right at the middle. He's the one that he's wanting to press on to know and to make known. And the rest of this letter that we're looking at, a little bit week by week, makes sense in the light of that. You can catch up with any messages that you might have missed. Uh, We have them on our website if you'd like to. So far, we have considered the themes already of partnership in the gospel, of having an attitude, of serving others, modelled on Christ's example, and we've also considered how we're all still a work in progress. And now we come across two case studies of partners in the gospel who Paul holds up as examples. I'm going to put uh, some of the words on the screen as we go through, but you might find it helpful to have a Bible open in front of you. It's great to regularly have guests with us. If you're new to the Bible, then we'll walk you through as we go through. Our passage does include some travel information, some travel plans, if you like. How Paul, he wants to come to the believers in Philippi, how Timothy is going to come soon, and how Epaphroditus is on his way. But Timothy and Epaphroditus are given more airtime than simply their travel plans. This is because Paul uses them as case studies for what he's already been writing and teaching about. I wonder what you think of when you think of a case study. Uh, My mind goes back to some of the geography that I learned and the the funny facts that I can remember, like in Bangladesh, 70% of the land floods annually or about a primate city like Lima in Peru that's 11 times bigger than the next biggest city. Just some case study facts that just stick with you sometime from school. I don't know if you've got any others. Uh, This afternoon, we're doing some safeguarding training uh, with many of our team and volunteers that serve in wonderful ways. We'll think about some of the theory, but then we'll think, what does this look like? Let's, Let's think about some situations to help us flesh out and think about how these things work out. Here's a couple of our uh, youth group, uh, Tilly and Amelia. They have been uh, learning about all sorts of land formation and things. And here they are in Wales this week, gone to see what is it like in practice. And here in our passage today, Paul, having given some teaching, is now saying, well, here's your examples, okay? Let's see what this looks like. And he holds up for us some partners in the gospel. Timothy who's written about in verses 19 to 24, and Epaphroditus, who's written about in 25 to 30. They're living examples of what Paul has been teaching about. So what do we know about both of them? Let's look at them one at a time. Firstly, Timothy. Timothy was with Paul at the time of him writing this in Rome, and Paul clearly valued him greatly, saying in verse 20, I've got no one like him. I don't think Paul wrote this because Paul only had Timothy with him. It's like Calvin saying, um, I've got no ginger members on the staff staff team just like Andy. Well, I'm, I'm the only one. I not really think that what he was saying. Paul had others who had come to him, who were partners with him. So why is it that Paul rates Timothy so highly and holds him up as an example? In contrast to others in Philippi, He seems to exemplify Paul's expectation and hope that believers don't look out primarily for their own interests, but for the interests of Jesus Christ, verse 21. Timothy epitomizes what Paul has urged the believers to become, not looking to your own interests, 
but each of you to the interest of others, verse 4 of chapter 2 says. Like a son to Paul, Timothy had served with him in the work of the gospel. Now, in the first century, many sons would learn their trade from their father, watching and copying what they did. And in a similar way, Timothy has been learning from Paul in his gospel ministry. It was the women in his life that had pointed Timothy to faith in Jesus, his mother Eunice and his grandmother Lois. And having joined Paul's missionary team, Timothy and Paul had developed a father and son-like relationship. The father-son language is used again in Paul's letters to Timothy and expresses something of their deep friendship and mentoring relationship that they had. Timothy was concerned for the believers in Philippians. Verse 20 shows us trusting that he would show genuine concern for their welfare. Paul, like a metal that has been tested and found to be pure, has proved himself as a true partner in the gospel. Interestingly, Paul doesn't highlight his teaching gift or knowledge, but his sense of care and love. Given the attitudes that Paul has already mentioned in this letter, perhaps he's paving the way for Timothy to come and address some of the things if this is still needed, something that Timothy would be qualified to do, given that he was selfless and cared greatly for the church. Paul hasn't sent Timothy yet because he's still awaiting his trial or perhaps the verdict of a trial, we think. But he's hopeful, confident even, verse 24 says, that he'll be able to come to the believers in Philippians in Philippi himself. He holds it lightly, though, saying that I hope in the Lord Jesus. We might sometimes use the phrase, uh, if it's God's will or if, if God allows. It's that kind of way that he's holding it. Timothy was someone of great value to Paul, who didn't look to his own interests, but to those of Jesus. He was like a son to Paul, who showed genuine concern for the well-being of the believers in Philippi. That's our first example. The other example is Epaphroditus. I wonder how you think I'm getting on with saying that. It's a bit of a tricky name. There it is at the top. Uh, Why don't you have a go at pronouncing it yourself to the person next to you? How do you say that name? Is everyone just copying me? Great. Calvin's telling me I'm getting on better on than Tuesday when I was preparing this message. Anyone got an alternative pronunciation? Am I doing okay? Okay, there we go. A long name. Um, Well, Epaphroditus needed no introduction to the Philippians as he was one of their own leaders. He had been sent by the believers in Philippi to Rome by Paul, for Paul, to take care of Paul's needs, verse 25 makes that clear. Later in the letter, it's clear that he's brought a gift on their behalf as well. Poor poor health has meant that Epaphroditus had nearly lost his life, and he was concerned that those in Philippi were concerned about him as well. It may have been that it was the 800-mile-long journey from Philippi to Rome that's made him ill. Paul had clearly been concerned and anxious about his health too. This nearly was an extra sorrow from Paul, on top of his sorrow of hardship and imprisonment. Epaphroditus is going to deliver this letter, 
And after another 800-mile journey from Rome to Philippi, he'll be back with those in his church family, who I'm sure will be relieved to have him back in one piece. Paul does more than just give a health update here, though. Paul calls Epaphroditus his brother, suggesting a close relationship with Paul. He calls him his co-worker, emphasizing that he hadn't simply been delayed because he was lazy, but had been serving Christ and had been unwell. And he calls him a fellow soldier, illustrating that he had stood alongside him in the battle of faith in what has been a hard time for Paul. Paul highlights that Epaphroditus almost died for the work of Christ, for the work of helping Paul, something the others he was writing to were unable to do. He, like Timothy, has embodied the attitude of taking care of others and not seeking gain, firstly, for himself. He's the second case study that we've got before us. Epaphroditus clearly had a heart for people as he was distressed because the believers had heard that he was ill. So Paul places Timothy and Epaphroditus side by side as examples of selfless partners in the Gospels. The qualities that Paul highlights here and the language that he uses here help us to think about how we too can grow as partners in the gospel. As a church, we are committed to helping one another in our mission to help people commit to and become more like Jesus. We've got four values that lay out the kind of church community that we're aiming to be. And some of the language in this passage helps us to think about those in a helpful way. Here they are. We have a commitment to being missionally shaped, a commitment to being family together, a commitment to the lost, the last and the least, a commitment to unity and partnership. Paul was committed to being missionally shaped, and Paul adapted and continued his mission of making Jesus known, the one and only most important one known, even when he was in chains. He was committed to reaching the lost, the last, and the least, and that included the Roman soldiers, who sometimes he would have been handcuffed to. And we discovered his joy that the gospel was being spread even when there were unhealthy motives at play. I want to spend a few minutes unpacking the other two of our values and how some language in this passage helps point towards that. We have a commitment to being family together. And the language of family used in these two examples reminds us of that commitment. Paul describes himself like a spiritual father to Timothy in verse 22, and Epaphroditus as like a brother in verse 25. This language of brothers and sisters and being part of God's family can be spotted right through the New Testament. Church is not simply an event we attend, but a family that we belong to and contribute to. We all have different experiences of our earthly families. Some of them might be more broken than others. And we probably all play different roles in family life. In a healthy family, everyone is valued and everyone contributes to family life and serves one another. The language of care and concern in these case studies of two exemplary partners in the gospel is the language of a loving church family. There are different kinds of relationships within a family and there are different kinds of relationships within a church family as well. Some might be a bit more like a parent-child 
relationship. We might have people that we look up to, especially honour and want to learn from. People we can go to when life is especially tough. People who can teach us from their experience or will listen to us and be gracious to us when we have messed up. We need the spiritual parents in our church family. Those in the older generation, we need you and your contribution in church life. In a growing larger church, we can't all know everyone, but let me encourage you to intentionally build relationships across cultures and across generations. It was great to be at the men's curry uh, last week, and it was great to have those from their teens through to their 80s and every decade represented in between as well. There are different ways that we can be family together. I know for many, uh, small groups might be a really important and key part to that. A small group of believers you can particularly get to know and journey with, supporting through the ups and downs of lives. Maybe being part of one of our teams has been a helpful way to express and be part of church family together. I so often come across people in our church who've been going through a hard time. Um, I'm just so grateful that what I often experience is that already some people in their small group or some people that they know have wrapped around them in practical love and care. I'm so grateful that that is a key part of our church, of being family together. I'm not suggesting that we've got this perfect. It's definitely something we need to keep intentionally trying to grow in, being proactive in, everyone playing their part. But we are able to express family together. And we do that when we all get stuck in, when we all take responsibility for that. Talking of uh, father-son relationship, um, I've got a mentor um, who helps me as I'm seeking to grow as a disciple and as a minister as well. And you could say he's a bit like a spiritual father figure too. So needed and appreciated for me. I wonder if you have anyone like that in your life or if you could play that kind of role for others. It doesn't need to be officially or, or named in some special way, but I think Paul and Timothy set a healthy example here for us. Paul uses the language of brother about Epaphroditus. We're all brothers and sisters, and we can show that brotherly affection to one another, an affection that's not based on our own interests, but the interests of Jesus and the well-being of one another. We all have an important part to play in setting an example to the younger generation about what that looks like as well to our children and young people in our attitude to one another, in our engagement in worship together, especially when we're all together. We can set an example in the way that we serve one another and speak well of one another and seek the well-being of all. As we think about this value, the challenge I'd like to bring to us is how are we all playing our part to be selfless family members here? How are we doing uh, valuing, including, honouring, and encouraging others in the church family? In the West, there can be a temptation to think of family as just a unit. You might think of just me, uh, my wife, my three children, that, that as family. But I think the New Testament family is much bigger than this. The challenge is, how can we be family together, including how we can be church family to those who are single or maybe the only believer in their household, those that come from a different cultural background to us as well? We can all be proactive 
at being church family together. We're committed to being family together. And we see the language of family in these two case studies. And we're also committed to unity and partnership. Epaphroditus was someone who traveled to Rome and back from Rome to bring this gift for his partner in the gospel, Paul. Now, Paul calls him a co-worker, and it's important to remember that we're all partners on the same team. He says of Timothy, he served with me in the work of the gospel. We have something that we call membership here. In some ways, a more helpful word might be partners, those who want to partner in serving God together as part of this local church family. And we run a course uh, called Joining In to help people think about how they might want to partner with us, how they might want to join in more. We're starting our next course uh, this Wednesday. Ellen and I will be hosting that. If you want to find out more about that, do come and chat to us. But as part of that, we think about what does membership mean as well. In reality, all believers of Jesus are partners in the gospel. And we all have the joy of being co-workers in Christ, and as last week's passage said, shining like stars in our broken world. We often emphasize the importance of how we can live this out on our front lines, whether that's in school or at work or at home or with family or on our street or in the gym or wherever we find ourselves. And we can be encouraged knowing that our church family and actually believers much further afield are trying to live that out as well. We're all partners in the gospel. Some, like Epaphroditus, walk a riskier road in mission that has involved moving away for the purpose of mission. And it's right that we remember and we honor and pray for those that have done that. Some of our mission partners might drop off our radar from time to time, but it's good to remember that we're committed to unity and partnership, both locally and those who serve as partners in the gospel further afield. No doubt between us, as I mentioned that, you might be thinking of different people that you know that serve in different places. Maybe that's a helpful reminder for you to pray for them, or maybe get in touch and see how they're doing and encourage them. As a church, we support BMS, Baptist Mission Society, and Home Mission, supporting Baptist Mission here in the UK as well, and a number of organizations each year. We also support a number of individuals and households more longer term you might recognize some of our partners in the gospel. We've got Yako and Karina and family there who are reaching and serving the mainly unreached Aboriginal community in Arnhem Land, Northern Australia, with pioneers. Uh, Liz New, who came to visit us fairly recently, uh, who works with local Asian women in Leeds with Urban Vision and InterServe. It's great to have Ruth Priestley with us today, uh, who's been working in Senegal with WEC in a school community and is now back having a well-deserved break and seeking God for what is next for her and her service with WEC. There are others in our church family that we could mention. The work of Feeding Futures in Kenya and Colin Clark and Vanessa Bennett, the Valances and others, and the work in the Kagando Hospital in Uganda, uh, Mary Fairfield's work in India, the church leaders in Romania that Ian and others have gone to visit and encourage and train, as well as family and friends that we pray for, like the Scuts or the Norths or the Chins. And there are many others, I'm sure, that are linked to our church that I could 
mentioned, but it's good to remember our partners in the gospel. There's a group that meets on a Monday night uh, once a month to pray particularly for some of them. If you'd be interested in finding out more about that, do ask us more. So we've been thinking about partners in the gospel. Timothy and Epaphroditus provide two brilliant examples of partners in the gospel. And we are all invited to partner together so that we might press on to that one thing, to make Jesus known. We do that as a community. We do that as family together. And we do that spurring on one another and other believers we know all around the world. So, brothers and sisters, let's grow together as partners in the gospel. Not serving our own interests, not looking out for our own interests, but the interests of Jesus and his kingdom. Jesus, our wonderful saviour, our Lord, our good shepherd, and our king. We're going to continue in worship and remember the one who leads the mission, the one that's seeking and saving people, Jesus, in communion in a moment. And Calvin and the team are going to lead us in a song now. Thanks, Calvin.